Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red, brown, yellow, black, and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world, and the big ones too. <laughs> hey, you guys, I brought you a box of something today. You see this box right here? It has something in it that is in your house. It's probably something kind of scary. I don't think it's scary for you. Well, good. I'm glad it's not scary for you, but sometimes I'm scared of it. You know what it is? Darkness. There's darkness in this box, and I brought it from my house to church. Because today, we're going to talk about a light that shines in the darkness. Do you know what the light is? This right here. So this is my Bible. I've read every page all the way through. Because the Bible says, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. There's a verse that, that I like to sing when my kids are scared at night. Do you guys have a nightlight in your house? You know how you go to sleep and you're like gazing at the nightlight? Because it's the only light thing. You do? I do too. So we sing this little song, Josiah. We sing this little song when somebody's scared. I just sleep in my bedroom with, with, with the light turned on. Oh, that's, that's nice. I can't go to sleep with my light turned on. But the song goes like this. When I, when, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. I will trust in you. I will trust in you. When I am afraid, I will trust in you, the God whose word I praise. And I like that song because it talks about the word, which is promising us God's goodness. And so the Bible verse that we're going to watch, look at today here in Big Church is, gaze at the word like a light in a dark place. Look! Just like that, inside the dark of the future, inside the dark of the economy, you guys don't even know what that is, there's a light. And we can look at the light of the Word of God and it keeps us from being afraid. Isn't that wonderful? I hope that reminds you. You know what? I'm going to leave that right here because sometimes the children's sermon is the best part for the big people too. But let me pray for you before you go. Lord Jesus, bless each one of these hearts that they would have light from your word and your spirit. Pray that their hearts would be soft and fertile, ready to hear and understand your promises so that they will not fear anything, but walk by faith, knowing that you are in charge and you will do everything you want to do. I pray that in Jesus' name, asking for their teachers too to make it very plain so they will understand and believe and be changed by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Well, we had a, a wonderful party yesterday for 30 years of Abba. Uh, thanks to those of you who came to Calvary Serves and helped us march through the neighborhood. We uh, took shelter in a padaria for a few minutes while it poured down rain, but then kept marching. Uh, it was fun because we went to three different churches in the local area that have supported Abba over the years and called them out to join the procession and then continued down to the Elohim uh, property where we had a, a wonderful time together hearing testimonies and uh, hearing a, a great message from the Word. 
uh, by Celio Fejeda, who is the superintendent. 30 years living by faith and taking care of children who've been abandoned, seeing them come into families. It's a wonderful little piece of the kingdom of God that is coming. Well, we're going through 2 Peter under the title of Escaping Corruption. I hope you've escaped the corruption that is in the world by evil desires. That's what Peter says. Uh, the corruption has a, has a source. It's not politics. It's not a few bad men. It's all of us. Our evil desires, our selfishness and pride produce corruption in the world. And we can escape that through salvation. Peter says specifically through precious faith received. Precious faith received. Through precious promises believed. He says that through these promises we know him and escape the corruption and become partakers in the divine nature. Jesus puts his nature inside of us. And that's how we, we escape. And then he says, now that you've been saved, make every effort to add to your faith seven things. What are they? Virtue. Come on. Knowledge. Self-control. Steadfastness. Godliness. Brotherly affection. And love. So I'm making every effort to try to remind you of these things every week. Because that's what Peter says. Make every effort to add these things to your faith so that you won't be unfruitful in your knowledge of him. And then he says, I'm going to make every effort to keep reminding you until I die so that even after I put off the body, you will still think about them. And that's what we're doing here. So last week we talked about verses 16 to 18 where Peter says he wasn't following cleverly devised myths when he told them the story of Jesus but that he had seen the majesty and the glory on the mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration. By the way, that, that combination of glory and majesty is repeated from early on in the verse, first chapter of Second Peter, where he says, God has called us to his glory and majesty. There's some depth there. I challenge you to spend some time meditating on what that means, that you have been called to the glory and majesty of God. It might echo Romans 3.23, which says we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And now God has called us up to the level of his glory, his majesty, his sanctification through the gospel. But that's not our topic today. A little bit about the future. We're going to uh, all the way to the end of 2 Peter by the middle of June. And uh, chapter 2 is almost completely focused on warning the church against false teaching false prophets, false teachers, and Peter has really strong words to say about those people. I think it's uh, of the Lord that we would talk about that before we have a new pastor come so that we can be on, on the alert against false teachers and false prophets. Chapter 3 ends with prophesying the second coming and Peter's take on the end of the world. Uh, so today's message is sort of a pivot we're moving toward that idea of prophecy, teaching, looking forward through what the Bible says about the end of days. Uh, so we're looking at 2 Peter first, chapter 1, verses 19 to 21, and this is under the title, Like a Lamp in a Dark Place. Like a Lamp in a Dark Place. I'm going to read it in the English Standard Version, 2 Peter 1, 20, 19 to 21, 
And then I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell them what you heard. In your own words, summarize these short verses. All right, you can take turns or just one of you say it. You can say it in Portuguese or uh, Swahili or whatever language comes to you first. Uh, but uh, I'd like you to give a little summary in one minute of this particular passage of Scripture. 2 Peter 1, 19-21. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. All right, before you forget what it says, turn to your neighbor and give them a summary. One minute. All right. How did they do? Did they get everything? It's amazing how much there is in just these short verses. As I meditated on them, I came out with three points that I'd like to focus on as we uh, chew on these words of Scripture. Carried by Christ, confirmed by Christ, and consummated by Christ. Carried by Christ, confirmed by Christ, and consummated by Christ. First of all, carried by Christ, and this is from verses 20 and 21. The end of the passage comes first because Peter says, first of all, or above all. So we start there. First of all, he says, know that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone, someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now you say carried by Christ or carried by the Holy Spirit. I believe Peter thought it was the same thing. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 to 12. 1 Peter 1, 10 to 12, he says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them, in who? In the prophets was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And he goes on to say that all those prophets were focused on us. They were prophesying for our sake so that we might gaze at the prophecies like a lamp in a dark place. So the Spirit of Christ was overwhelming these prophets, carrying them along so that we might have faith that saves and encourages us. Peter loves to speak of the Scripture. He loves to obey the Scripture. In Acts 10, he has a vision of a, of a sheet coming down from heaven full of unclean animals. You remember that story? And God says, a voice says, Peter, get up, kill something and eat it. And they're all unclean. They're against the law for Jews to eat those things. And what does Peter say? Lord, I have never eaten anything unclean. That's an amazing statement, right? I mean, if you think of Peter as a slightly rebellious teenager in Galilee. Maybe he wanted to know what pork tasted like, right? Maybe he went to a Roman party and tasted a little... Never! He says, I never ate anything unclean. That says to me that Peter reverences the Scripture. 
He knows it's from God. He has heard it taught all his life. He was a blue-collar fisherman, didn't study uh, high writings, but held the Scripture in great honor. And so that's what he's challenging us to do in this passage. He had heard and obeyed all his life, and he and his brother and his best friends, James and John, longed for the Messiah to come and found the fulfillment in Jesus. He says, first of all, Know that prophecy in Scripture is not from human interpretation. This was not smart people looking at the world and figuring it out. It didn't even make sense some of the time. Read the prophets. They did crazy stuff. They had to lie on one side for weeks and weeks and then turn over and lie on the other side. Ezekiel says, a hand came out from God, something like a hand, and picked me up by the hair carried me up into the air. Carried along by the Holy Spirit meant this is, this is not normal writing from human origin. It's not smart people figuring out something and writing it. It is truly from God by the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit of Christ, Peter says. Then he says it's not from human will. A person is not a prophet because they want to be. Right? Prophecy doesn't come out of your or my desire to manipulate the situation and so say, thus says the Lord, you need to uh, be my wife now, or whatever it is. I know that was a crazy example. <laughs> Not from the will of man. This is from the will of God. Prophecy comes from the will of God by the Holy Spirit as God speaks. But then he speaks through men. He uses men and women. He used the prophets in their own personalities and rhythms to write Scripture. Forty-four or more authors to write 66 books telling one story as they are carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the breath the pneumus, the wind of God, the same breath that he breathed into us and made us living creatures. It's the living water that flows up out of the believer and out of the temple when Ezekiel saw the temple. Do you remember Ezekiel's vision of the temple and he said out of the door was flowing water. At first it was shallow, then it got deeper and he measures it a thousand cubits down each time and it gets deeper and deeper until he says it was a river that could be swum in. You couldn't touch the bottom anymore. That's, to me, the river that Peter is talking about, the Spirit carrying the prophets along in the direction of God's will, of His purpose that's being completed by the Scripture and by history. You know, the Bible interprets itself. The Bible interprets the Bible. Paul says he proclaimed the whole counsel of God to the church in Ephesus in Acts chapter 20. Uh, my, my father taught us to read uh, cover to cover. He says you won't understand the prophets at first, but then you'll find something in the epistles that reflect what that was said in, the, in the, the prophets, and you'll say, okay, now I see what God is doing. And I believe that's what Peter means when he says it's more fully confirmed every day. More fully confirmed by us because we can look back and say, okay, one stone is no longer on another in Herod's temple. That was fulfilled in 70 AD. Jesus said it. It happened. 
There's some other things he said haven't happened yet. But we know them, we gaze at them, we meditate on them as a light in a dark place because God is carrying the Scripture and history in the direction of His will. The whole Bible points to Christ and He is the main character and the confirmation. So that's our second point, confirmed by Christ. Peter says, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention to as a light in a dark place. I think the NIV says more reliable. I like confirmed because Christ confirms so many prophecies. More fully every day as we move forward in the, to the consummation of all things. Wars, rumors of wars are happening more and more. Earthquakes, great earthquakes like earthquakes that have never been seen. The world is shaking and it's fulfilling, confirming the prophecies that were made as prophets were carried along by the Spirit. Revival. I hope you've seen some of the videos of various groups of students around the United States and now around the world who are sensing the movement of the Holy Spirit toward worship, toward repentance, toward, yes, salvation. Uh, my family went to see the new movie, Jesus Revolution, this, this week. And they were saying that it was delayed in its uh, coming out by several things that they thought were uh, sort of barriers, but now they see that the timing of Jesus' revolution being released in the United States, just as pockets of the movement of the Spirit uh, were, were, uh, were breaking out, seems to be the Lord carrying them along. Uh, people have stayed in the theater after the movie was over, weeping and repenting and finding new grace to believe because of what God is doing. Prophecy is confirmed by Christ, not because it's logical. Listen to this. Peter Stoner, the chairman of the Department of Mathematics and Astronomy at Pasadena College, was so passionate about biblical prophecy that he got 600 students from the InterVarsity Christian Fellowship to look at eight specific prophecies about Jesus. They came up with the extremely conservative probability for each one, each prophecy, to be fulfilled by Jesus. And then they considered the likelihood of Jesus fulfilling all eight of those prophecies. The conclusion, mathematical conclusion of his research was staggering. The prospect that anyone would satisfy these eight prophecies was just one in 10 to the 17th power. Now, I have no idea how many that is, but I looked up some way of explaining it. And basically, if you took this one real coin and put an X on it, marked it, and then you got 10 to the 17th power, you'd be a very rich person, first of all, if you had that many one real coins, they would cover the state of Sao Paulo one meter high. That's how many coins you would have. How hard would it be to find the one that I marked on the whole state of Sao Paulo one meter high? That's the likelihood of one guy fulfilling all the prophecies. Well, they even looked just at eight prophecies of Scripture, and there are dozens, even hundreds of prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. So Peter is saying, what's the likelihood that one guy could satisfy all of these prophecies of Christ? It's a miracle. Gaze at that fact like a light 
in a dark place. Remember that the Bible is being fulfilled day by day, and it's more and more confirmed. Let's just look through quickly some of these prophecies. Did you make that slide, Kerry? He was going to make a slide of that. But. So these are just a few of the prophecies of Scripture. 2 Samuel verse, uh, chapter 7, verses 12 and 13 are uh, God's word to David about the building of the true temple. He says, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now that last word tells us that this is not just Solomon. Solomon was raised up and he built a house, right? Didn't last forever though. The true son of David is the one born in Bethlehem, the rock cut out without human hands that begins the kingdom of God which will fill everything in every way. Isaiah 7, 14 is the prophecy that a virgin will give birth and he'll be called Emmanuel. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will, you will call him Emmanuel, God with us. Micah 5.2 is the verse that the, the priests and Levites found for King Herod when the, the Magi came asking where the king of the, of the Jews was born. It says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be a ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. So the, the, the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem, but his origin is from ancient times. The Son of God, always existent, always at, father, at the Father's right hand. And this was prophesied hundreds of years before it happened. Genesis 3.15, of course, is the word of God after man sins and falls uh, through the temptation of the enemy. And this is to uh, the serpent. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He that is Jesus, will crush your head. You will strike his heel. 1 John 3 verse 8 fulfills that and says the one who does what is sinful is of the devil. There's the son, the offspring of the serpent, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Jesus came to crush the serpent's head. And that was prophesied right at the very beginning of creation. Psalm 78, 1 and 2. My people hear my teaching, listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things from of old. Matthew 13 quotes that verse when it says, Jesus spoke in parables to fulfill the scripture, which said, I opened my mouth to speak in parables. Isaiah 9, 1 and 2, of course, we read this every Christmas. Nevertheless, there will be uh, no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations. By the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. That's the coming of the Messiah, not to Jerusalem, which is what everyone would expect, but to Galilee, the land of the Gentiles, the land of darkness. 
And of course, Isaiah 53, is it up there? Oh no, we can skip right over that one too. Isaiah 61.1. This is the one he read in his home church in Nazareth. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. And then Jesus says, today, this prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing. So the fact that prophecy was made hundreds of years before, and then Peter and the disciples, and now we through the scripture, watched it happen, is the light in the dark place that you and I need to gaze at to remember that the word of God is true, that God's sovereignty is truly holding every detail of history in his hand, and we can trust his word. They were carried along. The word was carried along. Those who are born into Christ are carried along by the Spirit in the direction of His will, which is confirmed at every step by Jesus Himself and eventually will be consummated by Christ. So carried along by Christ, confirmed by Christ, then consummated by Christ. This is verse 19, the second part. Until, Peter says... The day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. I believe these are two parts of the dawning of the new day. First, the morning star in my own heart. Because Peter says you will shine like stars in the universe. As we're born again, we become the light of the world. We become the testimony of the power of the gospel to transform us. And our lives become a prediction that day is coming, night will end, every knee will bow, every eye will see, because the sun will rise, the sun will return, he is coming. Matthew 25 talks about that coming. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, Then he will sit on his glorious throne and before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people from one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. The day will reveal all secrets and each of us will be who we are or are not in Christ. I like the way Paul says it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is verse 4. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. There's a God in this world, small g, who is trying to blind all of our minds, especially those who don't believe. I think my prayer often is, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So the devil comes and even blinds my mind to keep me from gazing at the light of his word, at the light of Christ's face, so that my faith will grow and stay strong. How do we interpret this and then apply it? Let's bring this to, the, to, to a, a practical end. I believe not just prophecy, but the whole of Scripture was spoken from God as the authors were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It is inspired by God. It is different. It's special. It deserves our attention, careful attention. So I want to ask you and me, do you give more attention to this or to football? Do you give more attention to this or your favorite Netflix series? 
not necessarily sinful. We are called to give attention, to, to gaze at the prophecies of Scripture, at the teachings of Scripture, and through them at the very face of Christ. And we'll get, that, get to that in a second. As we come into Christ, we ourselves are carried along by the Holy Spirit. So when we accept Jesus, and a man accepted Him this morning here at church, the Holy Spirit comes in and takes up residence in that life. And that life becomes part of the river of God, flowing deeper and deeper toward consummation of all things, toward the end that God has prepared from before the beginning. We are between the fulfillments of Scripture in the first coming and the fulfillment of Scripture in His second coming, which are foretold but not yet fulfilled. As we gaze, we know that to be true, that the day of the Lord is coming. In application, I want to challenge you to contemplate two things. Pay attention, like a lamp in a dark place. First of all, to Scripture. Contemplate the Word like a lamp. Read it. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Find Jesus on every page and welcome Him into the darkness of your despair, your dysfunction, your depression. In the dark of the future, we see Jesus on the pages of Scripture. You don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. I have no idea how I will die, nor what day it will be, but I know God knows, and I gaze at Him and at His Word because it gives me hope and faith in the moment. For hundreds of years, God's people waited for the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Messiah. And then Jesus came, confirming those prophecies. Now we wait for the second coming in the same way. And the second thing to contemplate is the face of the Lord Jesus Himself. He is the morning star that rises in our hearts. I hope you see Him being formed. I hope you see the divine nature becoming more part of your nature every day. Are you becoming more patient? Are you becoming more loving? Do you love the truth and hate lies more and more as you become more like Him? Gaze at that transformation in your own life and take heart. He is the bright light in a dark place. Predicted, confirmed, risen, seated at the right hand of the Father and coming again to earth in glory. Let His Spirit carry you along to the certain glorious future He has in store for all who trust Him. You know, my dad was a pilot, missionary pilot. And uh, in... To, to his plane one day came a woman who had never flown in a small plane before. She was scared to death, whiter than she would normally be. And dad said, are you afraid? She said, yeah. She said, well, you know, this plane is very well maintained, very small chance that anything would happen, uh, but we do trust the Lord, and, so, and, we, and we put our seatbelt on, and he did that as he buckled her in and closed the little door of the plane, climbed up in the cockpit. It was only about a half an hour flight, and they flew back to the missionary base where we lived, and as they landed, uh, Dad turned the motor off and looked back and says, Are you all right? She's gripping the handles beside her seat and turned even wider. She says, Yeah, I'm okay, but I never let my weight completely down in the seat. I think that's the way some of us are. 
We trust the Lord, but we really trust our own wits, our resources, our smarts, our connections, our job, whatever else is holding us together and giving us confidence. And Peter's saying, church, gaze at these prophecies. Know they came true and let your faith and confidence in Christ grow to the point where you too can be carried along by the Holy Spirit toward the fulfillment of all things, knowing that all things work together for good to those who know Christ, to those who are called according to his purpose. How are you? Are you gazing at that light? Is that your confidence in a dark place? I want to challenge you to, to practice spiritual disciplines. What are you memorizing? What are you meditating on? What do you spend time thinking about when you wake up in the middle of the night? What, what brings you joy? Find joy in the scripture. There's a great little book called The Life You've Always Wanted by John Ortberg. I recommend it for everyone. It's an, it's an older book now, but it's about the spiritual disciplines. And uh, Pastor John uses an example in that book of a sailboat uh, as, a, as your life, your spiritual life being like a sailboat. A sailboat doesn't move because you paddle harder. I mean, it can if the wind stops. When the wind is blowing, a sailboat moves because the sail is raised to the wind in the right angle. And Pastor John says that sail is the practice of certain spiritual disciplines. It doesn't get you anything for salvation, for love of God. He will not love you more if you do them. But you will raise the sail of your life to the wind of the Spirit and you will be carried along if you practice disciplines of prayer, disciplines of spiritual uh, meditation, meditation on the scripture and studying the word, disciplines of silence and solitude, disciplines of fasting and seeking the Lord in your heart, not so anyone else can see, but raising that sail to the Lord so that you too can be carried by the spirit, confirmed by Christ in your own heart, and then consummated when he comes for his church. Lord, help us. We believe Help our unbelief. I pray for myself and all that are hearing my voice today that we would be carried along by your Spirit. I pray that we would lift our, our legs, our anchors that are holding us back from following you fully. You would confirm your, your word in our hearts toward the consummation of all things in the end. And we will thank you and give you praise in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.